0: GM, GM, welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. My name is Josh Gordon. And man, I'm stoked you're here right now. We had an awesome November. Tons of great guests. The best of November episode is here. If you celebrated Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoyed that. Now we get to celebrate some great moments from the podcast over the last month. So I had conversations with Web3 founders and designers this month. It started with Bobby from CoinGecko. And we talked all about crypto data. Then I interviewed Raf from Electric Capital, and he shared his five big problems in Web3 UX, which I found really fascinating. I mean, we talked about everything from wallets to digital identity to mobile apps and desktop infrastructure. It was a good conversation. I talked to Jad from Kudos, and we talked everything about digital identity. And man, Jad is a Web3 identity thought leader for sure. What a fascinating conversation. After Jad, talked to Anand, and he shared his story about buying Beeple's first 5,000 days NFT and bringing NFTs to some of India's biggest companies. Now, there's a lot to learn here about different Web3 use cases and how companies are thinking strategically about their businesses and the role Web3 can have in the future of our online identities. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you do, please share a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the pod on Spotify I'd appreciate it so much, and getting that feedback as we wrap up 2022 on the Unstoppable Podcast would just be amazing. So with that, let's get into the episode. Bobby is the co-founder of CoinGecko, which has been a super successful Web3 business over the years. He also has a deep knowledge of crypto data, since tracking the market is their bread and butter. Bobby shared an interesting take in this clip everything will be tokenized
1: one day. Listen to hear why. We want to be this place. We want to be the infrastructure to help people, ordinary folks out there, make sense of this future and then help you understand the prices and the volume and the trading liquidity for all these tokens out there. A one-stop shop to kind of make sense for all this data out there in this crazy new blockchain world. Yeah. I'm
0: glad you mentioned that, that quote, everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized because I actually saw, I think you tweeted it this week or last week and I wanted to ask you about it. I mean, if we're going to have every application powered by blockchain technology, and I guess that, does that mean there every application has like a token associated with it? Are people going to be having to keep track of hundreds of tokens in their wallet or Is that kind of all also going to be falling to the background and maybe only some applications you actually
1: track token price for? Uh, I guess it really depends on the individual whether you want to track the token prices or not. I sort of imagine that, you know, as we play games these days, Web2 games, Web2 apps, for example, we are collecting all kinds of points, for example, or buying in-game assets. So in-game assets can be represented as NFTs, and centralized points like, for example, Reddit points can be represented as fungible tokens, for example. Well, we may not really care about the price. I mean, at this point in time, the in-game assets, the the, the centralized points, they're pretty hard to trade for real world dollars, for example. But in the future, these centralized points, these in-game assets, they will be represented as fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. Whether we choose to keep them as it is or choose to sell them for something more tangible, for example, a US dollar or Bitcoin or ETH up to us, this technology allows for the trading of all these assets. And if we care about the the prices of these things, then there is a market that is readily available for us to trade these tokens. But it doesn't mean that we have to. And I, I always like to quote the Reddit example. Reddit, I think, is one of the most interesting Web 2 company that is playing a role in Web 3. And if you take a look at some of the experiments that they are running, some of the Reddit community points are starting to be tokenized and represented as tokens on the Arbitrum Network. And their avatars are being represented as NFT collectibles uh, being minted on the Polygon blockchain.
0: Yeah, I saw the avatars didn't realize the points were also getting uh moving to the crypto world. So very cool that they're experimenting with that. I think you mentioned too on Twitter that we are about to or we just hit 1 million different tokens in the crypto ecosystem. And I'd be curious, you know, how many it took, what, 10 years to get to this point? How many tokens do you think we'll have by the end of 2023 next
1: year? Oh, that's a pretty hard question to answer, but, but I should make a guess. So there's tokens listed on CoinGecko and there's tokens listed on Gecko Terminus. So again, I guess you can think of it as CoinGecko taking on a curated approach where our team basically goes around and manually evaluates every token before listing them. What this means is that a token must have a certain level of liquidity and trading volume and must pass some checks such as those obvious scam checks, for example. And Gecko Terminal takes on a non-curated approach because it reads every single token on the blockchain. It currently tracks over 61 layer ones and layer twos. It automatically reads and tracks every single trade, including tokens that could be spam, could be scam, have very low liquidity and trading volume. So on Gecko Terminal, there are over 1 million tokens already. Obviously, I think 70% of all the tokens listed are probably those that have less than a $1,000 in liquidity. And if I were to fathom a guess, I guess is probably by the end of next year, there may be 2 million tokens listed on Gecko Terminal and maybe about 20,000 tokens on CoinGecko.
0: Wow. So that's kind of like exponential growth we're about to kind of maybe get to the cusp of. So even if I made like a Josh... Social token that would be listed on gecko terminal, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. It will automatically be tracked on gecko terminal once there are at least one once there's at least one, one trade. And then if you meet some liquidity and volume requirements, you can apply for a listing of CoinGecko and, and it may be listed there as well.
0: Very cool. I've been making it a goal of mine to experiment more with crypto native tools as a content creator and interviewing all these guests. I'm learning a lot and I feel like it's time to start experimenting with some of these actual tech pieces instead of just talking at the conceptual level. So I might have to make a social token and check it out on the terminal just for learning and education purposes too. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. And maybe, you know, a question, another question for you while we're talking about the tokenization of everything here is for. People who are into NFTs and maybe even for people who aren't as much but are still listening to this right now, what's the value of tokenizing something that isn't yet? I mean, can you give an example of something that's not tokenized yet, but that you think will be in the future? I mean, next year in the next five to 10 years, just because right now we're we've seen some experiments with real estate, you know, we've seen music and art and then the some just digital things like game assets. But what else is going to be tokenized that isn't yet?
1: Yeah. So I think you kind of mentioned some of the really obvious examples like real estate. I mean, any land titles, title deeds to like cars, for example. But I think digital identities are something that are not tokenized or not tokenized well yet. So I mean, obviously unstoppable domains trying to do something like that with the domain name system. But if you think about it, there are a lot other, a lot of other ways of digital identity representing ourselves on the online world. For example, an email address is a sort of decentralized identity that may not really be tradable, for example. I mean, if I want bobby at gmail.com, you know, someone who owns it may be willing to sell it, but there is no marketplace for that right now. It's the same for. Instagram handles, Instagram.com slash Bobby. I may want that, uh, and there are people kind of trading these usernames on the black market or, or some market somewhere, but there is no liquid way of trading. So you could sort of imagine if Meta wants to create a NFT marketplace trading Instagram handles, they could kind of tokenize Instagram usernames as NFTs and allow for the trading of these usernames and they can collect like a 5% marketplace fee. So that is one quick way that they could do. So you could sort of imagine Facebook usernames, Telegram sort of trying to do the same thing with Telegram naming system as well. That would be interesting. I remember having to buy the CoinGecko Telegram username from a squatter and, uh, someone squatting on the Telegram marketplace. I mean, it wasn't the easiest thing. I had to find a way to find this guy and then kind of negotiated with him to kind of buy the CoinGecko handle. but Identities such as this, which is important, obviously important for companies like us, having a liquid marketplace where people could buy and sell is kind of a useful thing for us to buy our our digital identities. So I think that is something that would be pretty useful to be tokenized and, and tradable. For sure. Yeah, no,
0: glad you're bringing up identity. I mean, it's obviously an Unstoppable, that's one of the core use cases we're focused on here. And I could totally see a future where Facebook has its own, you know, tradable NFT usernames for across their socials. But hopefully, we also get to a place where you can use your NFT domain as logins for dApps like that. I mean, an integration with a social giant like Facebook or Instagram would be Massive for the whole crypto space, but uh, I definitely could see that coming since they've adopted collectibles on Instagram recently. Rafa's deep experience as a UX designer, and we talk through the many challenges from the design and UX perspective that face Web three. In this part of our podcast, he dives into the problems with digital identity and the challenges around how data sharing is currently being done. Honestly. I love to hear him describe the problem the way he did, as well as what would make for a good solution, since it's exactly the problem space that Unstoppable Domains is working to really build out. Thinking about how a Web3 domain is more than just something to send payments for. It's an identity that allows for a communication channel between you and any application you interact with. Now, I'll let Raf talk through the rest. Well, let's jump to challenge two. And I did allude to it. And that one was around your Web3 identity. So what do you see are the problems here right now?
2: So if you think about your identity, not just your Web3 identity, but your identity at a high level, what it is, it's really a composite of your offline activity, your online activity, now your on-chain activity, that node connects to your interest, your taste, your purchases, your social graph, what have you. So for better or worse, the login method that we have right now is what, email and phone number. So when you're using, say, uh, Gmail for logging in, the transaction with Google is very simple, right? So you give me a way to log into services. In exchange, you get to see all my emails and you get to to serve me ads. Even though not everybody sees that exchange, I think it's well-contained enough such that if you connect to a service, they don't see all your emails. You know that only Gmail gets to see your, your emails. For Web3, when you're connecting to a service, through your wallet, you really, really, really don't have any control over what part of your identity you're exposing. Right? Assuming you've you've set up multiple addresses and multiple domains, you can, if you want, say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna log in with this this address or with this domain, which means that they will see only this kind of activity or that kind of activity. That's very hard to do right now, and there's not really any help. Oh, I'm sure unstoppable domains is, is trying to get there, but. The fact that, one, you need to do a lot of active management around that that identity, and two, that you don't have any control over what part of information you're actually giving away, I think is a really a real problem right now.
0: Yeah. So many thoughts here, really, since this is one of my biggest focus areas and time I spend thinking about. But I'm going to start with Google. So I feel like when you describe that transaction with Google with giving them your email in exchange to access to services, I feel like that's... Google or Web2 solving the cold start problem that Web3 has mm-hmm. tried to implement through token drops. Is that comparison? St- am I stretching that a little bit or would you agree a little bit? Because I see them saying, hey, get this for free in exchange for like coming and using our services and tokens. Yeah. You know, we'll do an airdrop of tokens. You just have to be an early user and and come sign in. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like there's some similarities there.
2: There is. I think the fundamental difference here is that Email as an auth method, as, a, as an identity method, actually came after the first use case of email, which is communication between people, mm. right? It sort of grew into that. And the reason why it's so powerful to log in with your email is that you can have a communication channel that's built in, right? You, can't, you don't just log in with services. They can then send you notifications. They can send you communications, and you can send stuff back to them as well. Yeah. So I think... In order for for Web three identity systems to work on top of what I just mentioned, there also needs to be a communication channel that is that is native to Web three or integrates in a way that again you can choose which part you're exposing and and you can you have a really good understanding of who will now have access to me as a sort of like as a recipient of notifications. Hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. Like when you log in with a wallet today you eliminate the ability for any DAP or maybe it it doesn't even have to be a decentralized application always, right? Sometimes they still have Connect with Wallet, Mm -hmm. but you eliminate that service from being able to reach out to you and communicate. And that could be as simple as, Mm -hmm. hey, we just dropped a new feature or, hey, here's a reward. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if you can give us this information, we can then serve a better user experience to you. And so definitely it's something we're thinking about on Unstoppable. I'd like to share with you two things because I think a lot of people in the Web3 space aren't all familiar with it. It's hard to keep up with every project, all the features they launch. But two ways I think I'm going to, since I said at the beginning, I want to talk about not just the problems, but how some people are thinking about these, solving these is you talk about communication channels. So we'll address that. With your NFT domain at Unstoppable, you can actually use it as a email. And so when you log in, if you log in with your unstoppable email with partners that are have integrated that feature, you can permission them your email. And that it's like your it's an email associated with your NFT domain. So if you're raf.nft, your email would be NFT at ud.me. Mm-hmm. And your personal, let's say your gmail account, raph at gmail.com, your personal one is private and the NFT email forwards the communications to your personal one. So right. this is something we just launched like a month ago, but I would say, you know, most people aren't familiar with this. Again, this isn't integrated in every DAP you're using out there, but I do think it's a step forward in addressing that communication channel that wouldn't be possible if you were just logging in with your wallet. Mm-hmm. So I want to share that one with you. And then the second one, I think you talked about exchanging data between yourself and the application and when you log in with a wallet, you kind of expose all your NFT holdings, but there's not much more personal information you can share, right? I mean, I can't really tell them my address or if I'm buying shoes. I can't tell them my shoe size. And and that's a basic example. But uh, we are thinking about how you can permission data that you associate with your NFT domain to the apps. It's not Mm -hmm. given to them, but you can choose what you give to them when you log in. So I just wanted to share that with you because I think it addresses really specifically those two points, which are extreme challenges we see in the market today.
2: Mm -hmm. Users will want to tend towards more privacy. So any solution that can build login methods and communication channels, where you don't know who's on the other end, where it's zero knowledge, that I think will win. And and, you know, like Apple started to do that with the the email proxies, Mm. that's fine. However, again, the way you manage all these things, still very clunky right now.
0: Yeah. We need communication channels. We need data permissioning that still has a baseline of privacy. But you want to see Mm -hmm. that active management become easier and less, maybe less of a burden on the user. I love this interview so much with Jad. And he's written some great pieces on Web3 Identity and is building a crypto startup. He compares collecting things in real life, like the things we put on our shelves, to collecting NFTs. The things on your shelf represent who you are, yourself. Hear how Web3 can be a digital extension of who you are. And that one that we're really focusing on today is building up your digital identity. So how are you thinking about what that means and how we're doing it? Yeah,
3: the metaphor that I use most often here is your bedroom. And if you think about your bedroom as your own space where you feel like you can, where it feels like a sanctuary, it feels like your own little hub with all your things. It's where you have your like closet, with your clothes, your bookshelf with all your books, your vinyl collection with all like the vinyl that you've accumulated. It's a place where you can choose to invite people to come into the space And if they come into the space and browse through your bookshelf and see the books that you're interested in, and maybe if it's someone that's really close, you'll like show them what's in your closet, but it's probably private. What's in your drawer next to your bed, that's probably quite private. Like that space speaks to your identity in many ways. And so in the piece around like your shelf, the difference between shelf and self is like kind of a small gap because the things that you accumulate, the things that you collect speak to who you are, the things that you make a kind of intentional choice to purchase or to say you enjoy or to like or bookmark or collect is an indication of what you're interested in and kind of as a derivative of that, like who you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I think about it.
0: I got to share two quotes that stood out for me that related to this from the blog post. And the first one is all of these represent a physical manifestation of who we are what we are, and how we want those closest to us to perceive us. I thought that was really well said. And the second one was, self and shelf are only one letter apart. And I, I thought that was really, really clever. And, and you know, I, I don't think that... Who knows? Actually, maybe you know. The Latin definition of self comes from shelf. But that's... It made me think of that. And it's just interesting how we start collecting stuff. And NFTs have been really the first time, personally, I've started collecting. And I'm starting to think about what my collection says about me. It's tough too, because some of the things I wish were in my collection that I wish I had to say about me maybe are out of my price range or just not things I, not things I own. But it's for the first time, I'm really thinking about how I'm curating my digital profile versus on Facebook. It's I'm one person of me on Instagram. I'm another on LinkedIn. I'm another and all these are separate me's. But I don't have one central hub for what my is. And so when you think about collecting and putting things on your shelf, what is your shelf in the Web3 world? Is it your wallet address? Or I mean, at Unstoppable, we're, we're thinking about Web3 identity, starting with your NFT domain, because your domain name can link to multiple wallet addresses. What is your Web3 shelf?
3: Yeah, it could be your wallet. I think the abstraction of that is it's your decentralized identifier, and that could be some form of, you know, NFT domain. It's whatever that connects to. I think, you know, in the world that I occupy and what we're working on, we think of it as that space where you are making attestations. You're saying, I really enjoy this. This is an extension of who I am. Like, I'm collecting it. I'm adding my own context or take on it then bring it into a space that, as a whole, the aggregate describes me is sort of like who I am. And you know, if I were to kind of like take a step back a little bit and think about like how do we construct our identities in the real world beyond just collecting in a bedroom, I use that metaphor. I think it's the things that we experience that shape us, but also the interest and taste that we develop over time. And so like I grew up in a mixed household. I moved around a lot as a kid. My parents influenced me, my community influenced me. Those experiences shaped my identity. But so did the interests that I started to kind of gather over time. Like I love music. I love writing. I've started to love coffee and coffee culture. And like those shape me. And when people think of me, they're like, oh, it's that guy who makes lists of cafes in different cities. Like it becomes a part of who I am. And so, you know, in that vein, is there a way for us to kind of aggregate the totality of who we are through our experiences online and sort of the things that we collect or the things that we're interested in and like the taste that we formed. Today, that's Facebook, right? It's Facebook and the Facebook organization, everything that comes under it, where they have a view of who we are through our experiences online and like what we say we like based on how much time we spend on each piece of content or what we say we like, what we comment on, engage with. And so that view becomes who we are in many ways.
0: Yeah. And you definitely alluded here to how, and I mentioned it too, there's, there's a lot of versions of us. And you mentioned Facebook and Facebook definitely was the first time. I mean, maybe there's other points in history, but Facebook is, in my experience, the first time I really started building out this online identity. And I want to know that is how we start putting our identities on all these different platforms. They're disparate right now. They're disconnected is it changing how we present ourselves versus when you have this shelf that you can put all your stuff on and you're not limited to the platform? Do you feel like you're bringing a more true self there versus who you are on Facebook and the other places that we do have some kind of form of identity around in the Web2 world? I think it's important that we have
3: spaces where we can present different parts of ourselves because we have many parts. And, you know, I think right now the kind of like other Way of thinking about it is when I like me as Jad walking into the office versus walking into a bar with my friends. I present differently, but I'm the same person in both spaces. You know, I contain the same cells and the same interests, and I'm the same identity, kind of in both. But I present differently. I might dress differently. I might behave differently. I might have different conversations. I'll perform differently in those spaces. And so the same thing applies online. On Facebook, I'll perform very differently to Twitter, to my OnlyFans or whatever. And like I'll I'll present differently in all those spaces. But at the end of the day, I am not all those separate people. I am like one kind of unit that connects them all.
0: So I feel like what we're getting to here is in Web2, you do have different platforms and you do present differently on them. That's not necessarily a bad thing. In Web3, you can have a central identity where all your collectibles, all your data is in one spot, and then you can bring that to the platforms where you want to present. And so the difference here is ownership, right? Totally. You can decide to provision in
3: data into those specific spaces. You have control over what part of you comes out like you do in the real world.
0: Hard to find a more passionate and articulate person about NFTs than Anand. And it was such a pleasure to interview him on the podcast. I think a lot of people think that NFTs have to be scarce, distributed in small quantities. But free NFTs are the building blocks of communities. They distribute access to a wide range of people and allow for an audience to be expanded. Now, Anand says experience should be scarce. Assets should be scarce. But access should not be. Listen here as he talks about the role free NFTs will play for brands and creators. Free NFTs. And so, you know, I could see a world where people chooses a piece to mint out for free too. I mean, artists might use free NFTs to expand their collector base. So I'm curious, what's your take on free NFTs and the role that they play in Web3?
4: First off, you need to step away from the idea of NFTs as assets, right? If you take that away, what are they? I think there's no argument in the fact that NFTs are the molecules that build up this ecosystem, right? That's a pretty straightforward way. We call them building blocks, Lego blocks, molecules, essentially, right? Which means they need not be scarce at all. Give me one good reason why the building blocks of something ought to be scarce. There is no reason. So that's where the idea of free NFTs sort of light a bulb in your head, right? You want adoption, you want a lot of people to participate in a particular place, but then you're instantly right out of the gate. You're saying, I've only got 10,000 of these or 1,000 or 100 of these. And once they're all gobbled up, there's nothing for the rest of you. So free NFTs essentially distribute access and a connection with a large number of people. And that's that's kind of what EDA itself is working towards, right? To, to sort of step away from this narrative. And we're doing it in a place where we're not trying to target just a Web3-aware audience, because it's it's hard because they've seen nfts as assets for so long and when you're giving them away for free they instantly don't value them and instantly it's a massive dissonance there but if you look at someone who's got a fresh pair of eyes and they're coming into the space and you tell them do this is the building block of the space here you know go on have it and you can build some something out of it that's where the magic starts to happen experiences are scarce assets are scarce Access should not be scarce. that's why free NFTs.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I have a quote here from an article that I read that you were quoted in prior to this. And the question was like, why should we be thinking about accelerating Web3 access? And the answer was, we need to move the conversation away from scarcity as the sole driver of value. And that was NFTs for a 12 month period of time. Scarcity was the sole driver of value. The topics were... What's the quantity of this collection? And that was really dictating, you know, the cost. Oh, there's only 10,000 CryptoPunks. They must be valuable, right? But when you can create an infinite number of scarce objects, then sometimes, yeah, that, that scarcity isn't as important. And it's more about what's built around that asset. So I really like that. And you mentioned some things like experiences. And so maybe it would be good to talk through different types of experiences that we might see in the future built around these NFTs. I have some thoughts I could throw out, but before that, maybe I'll just let you riff on it.
4: Well, man, I've I've said some questionable things and repeatedly contradicted myself. So I'm glad what you picked up was okay. (laughs) Experiences, right? You know, the beauty of NFTs is that they can unlock not just digital experiences or virtual experiences, but physical ones, fidgetal ones, and any sort of permutation of these experiences. Fidgetal?
0: Yeah. Is that the word? That's a new word. New that is a new word. I have not heard fidgetal, but you're just talking about the combination of a digital and physical experience, and you can unlock access in both realms.
4: Yeah, it's been around for a while. I mean, you're a Beeple fan. So Beeple's a very fidgetal kind of guy, right? So when he creates a work of art, there is a, a fidgetal object that you get as well, you know, something that's tangible. So I think NFTs can unlock a range of things for you. They can be the most, I mean, if you if you were to reduce it down to an extremely crass example, they can be the most effective loyalty program that a brand ever has, right? But the beauty is instead of something that's loose or uh, it fizzles away over time, you can get your user or your customer on a journey and build on it and take him through it and reward him for being part of that journey. And NFTs can enable that, right? For a celebrity or a creator, an NFT becomes that tangible connection between the two. And you've had conversations about this in the past with many of your guests, right? It, it offers such a strong bond between them, right? And it helps to separate the true fans from people that are just you know, dropping in and going away. So NFTs can unlock a bunch of experiences, physical, digital, digital, virtual and a combination of all of these.
0: Yeah. Do you expect to see the NFTs break into... So I was thinking like there's retail, entertainment. I threw utilities down on my list when I was thinking about experiences and utilities. I I mean, it's like identity as a utility. And then communities. I feel like we're kind of talking about communities, but when you talk about retail and entertainment, will those surpass the the quantity of experiences we have, will they be focused on retail entertainment more so than maybe like the communities and art? Because right now we're we're in the community in the art world, but I feel like as NFTs just gain steam, it's going to go towards the retail entertainment maybe more so than today.
4: It's interesting, right? You brought in entertainment, community, art, retail, essentially, I think they're all part of the same thing. And we are... In a sense, heading towards a convergence, right? I keep telling people the NFT space represents the renaissance of our times. What I mean by that is it's the perfect storm of finance and technology, but it's propelled forward by culture, which is how you define a renaissance. That's how the first one happened. And we're bang in the middle of this one. Culture and commerce have always sort of uh, been hand in hand together what the nft space will enable is to sort of supercharge that relationship essentially and that's where retail comes in that's where art comes in so in a sense what what'll end up happening is experiences are always going to be driven around culture are always going to be oriented around culture even utilities right if there is an element of culture in it then they are far stickier than like a bare minimum utility right now what does this unlock for me does it unlock a 5% discount in this particular transaction or the next or does it unlock access to my favorite kind of content over a period of time yeah i'd always pick option 2 and i'd still spend money on either of these right but you see if either of these is suboptimal or subpar in quality the consumer drops away but when both of these come together you know with the best of intentions with the best quality with the idea that you want to exchange value with your consumer and not rip them off over one transaction it's magic and that's what we will begin to see this convergence of technology and commerce propelled forward by culture
0: i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the unstoppable podcast if something we said today resonated with you please leave us a review subscribe and share this with your friends and remember This conversation doesn't have to end here. Tweet us your questions, thoughts, and ideas to Unstoppable Web. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you so much for listening.